I'm Wendy Michelle, personal trainer and nutritionist turned researcher, innovator, and precision wellness specialist. Welcome to Whole, Healthy, and Free. This podcast is all about equipping you with cutting-edge tools and information for accomplishing your health goals and becoming your best version of you. I have collectively spent over 20 years behind the scenes in clinical healthcare, in food and supplement manufacturing, in alternative medicine, and fitness marketing. What I've seen behind closed doors and experienced in real life has provided me with an education no formal textbook would dare to write about. From it all, I learned that health is much easier than it has been presented to be. People are capable of way more than they realize. And the majority of what masquerades as healthy is commonly what actually contributes to illness. I break it all down and bring it all to light for the sole purpose of giving you your power back so you can reclaim your health to live whole, healthy, and free. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Whole, Healthy, and Free, Defying the Limitations for Personal Breakthrough. As I've explained, this podcast is all about equipping you with the tools that you need to accomplish your unique health and wellness goals. And so I am very excited for today's discussion because we will be talking about something that is fundamental to your personal success, but rarely, if ever, discussed. This is a critical element that, when applied correctly, will save you time and money and a lot of frustration. For instance, when I started having to find information for my own health, I learned the hard way that what is presented cannot actually always be taken just at face value. I was incorrectly applying information that led to some major issues for me. I was misinterpreting, misunderstanding, and some of it just wasn't accurate data. So today we are going to go down the data rabbit hole. We are going to discuss how data is used to influence, manipulate, manage, and control behavior. We're also going to talk about some things that you can do to take back that control and identify what's true and, well, what's BS. As you know, I'm a big proponent of in-depth research. As I've talked about, the process of examining and interpreting information and data, then applying it properly has been critical in literally every aspect of my life. When it comes to information, I don't play, and neither does my guest. Today, we have Corey Ledbetter. Corey is a data scientist for a company called ATI Group LLC and is co-owner of 8 People Inc., He has an extensive background in business development and analytics and also teaches graduate-level data science for National University. Corey sits on a number of advisory boards as a liaison between leadership, frontline, and data professionals. In other words, he's the guy you want to talk to to make sure everyone is on the same page. His companies specialize in helping organizations capture and utilize all kinds of data to solve any kind of problem. I have had the great honor of knowing and working with Corey for five years or so now. Wow, time really flies. And he is easily the best person to take us down this road. Hi, Corey. Welcome to the show. Hi, Wendy. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. I am just so excited about this particular episode. I think it's really important for the times that we're in right now with this data flying all over the place uh, to give people some real tools to be able to navigate well. And I think this topic is vital, so I'm going to just jump right in because I know that there is so much to cover. Um, How about let's start 
by talking about the basics and maybe defining some of the words that are thrown around a lot. Maybe help us to uh, go through some of those buzzword concepts. Okay. Yeah, that sounds totally like a plan. And um, I apologize for not being able to be there uh, in studio, but uh, hopefully uh, hopefully you guys can can make out everything I'm saying. Okay. Um, so I think I think starting out with the buzzwords is really kind of a great place to start, right? Because we hear about, you know, big data, the cloud, AI, machine learning, all these different things, but they're all kind of really nebulous. So um, from the perspective of the sort of data in general and where, where we kind of want to go, as you and I sort of briefly discussed before this, was, um, you know, the information that has an impact on our lives, you know, the things that, that we read in, you know, news media, or social media, um, on the Internet, from YouTube, whatever, right? So all these different feeds, essentially. And essentially what a feed is, just a, a, a place where data is, um, is, is distributed. So you have news feeds in, you know, your Google or your Yahoo account, and those are all driven by things that you've read or clicked on or viewed or shared before. Um, we have social media feeds that are largely driven um, by likes and shares and things like that, um, which can actually lead to problems later on. And um, really anything you can think of that's a sort of an automated data source could be considered a feed. And so what's generating these feeds uh, is, um, well, <laughs> a combination of factors, really anything that's connected to the Internet. And when you hear about this larger concept of the cloud, this is anything, again, connected to the Internet, and they have to say cloud because it's just kind of this, like, floating, ongoing transfer of information that's out there. Um, other concepts that you hear about frequently are machine learning and artificial intelligence. They're kind of the same thing. Uh, essentially, machine learning is utilizing um, computational algorithms to um, detect patterns and then to do something with those patterns, have some sort of output, right? Artificial intelligence basically uses those things in combination to um, do other things. So we have, we have something that we can automate. We're going to do it. So we uh, use artificial intelligence to do so. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called artificial because while it appears to be some sort of you know, conscientious decision-making process, it's really just something that's programmed in there by people behind the scenes, right? Um, there are some, however, AI algorithms that create other AI algorithms, but that's super fringe and, and not very um, not very reliable <laughs> or practical um, presently. So um, other concepts that, that you probably hear about a lot are data mining, and this is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's the idea of uh, digging through data to extract information. So we all know that our phones and our Alexas and our series and all these other things are gathering information from us all the time. You know, all the companies like Facebook and everybody, everybody's gathering information all the time. Well, that information doesn't automatically get processed. They actually have to have somebody go in there, dig through it, and um, identify other patterns or information that's going to be useful for them primarily to sell you something later on. Um, and this occurs on a regular basis. You may do data mining on your own. Um, it, it could be something as simple as moving through a spreadsheet and looking for a specific um, set of information. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, all of your data that's living up in the cloud or on local servers or on your computer is typically stored in, in something called a database. A database is where you have different data sets stored. Okay, So large database, cloud-based databases, it's all the same thing. It's just basically a storage locker for information. Okay, mm-hmm. Analytics are performed on data. That's, a, that's another kind of 
term that we hear very frequently, you know, analytics, but nobody really talks about what analytics are. Analytics is literally just a process of looking at your data in a way that you can extract information from. It's related to data mining, but it's um, it's more along the lines of um, using statistical measures to identify trends and patterns and then presenting those in, you know, visualizations, charts, graphs, tables, all the things that you see in, like, scientific journals, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um one of the main um, the sort of uh, data, you know, phrases that, that we hear a lot more recently that I want to talk about a lot today are the data sources. So you hear about data sources and sources, you know, sources of data, cite your sources. You hear these kind of concepts all the time. These are basically just the places that you get your data from. So for most people, that means, you know, news and media outlets, Facebook, Twitter feeds, journals, whatever, right? So all these things, all these different concepts related to data are really just ways of collecting, gathering, and analyzing, and then distributing information from, you know, these collective sources, a sort of patchwork of technologies that's out there capturing everything. And for better or worse, this information, these things are all used to influence, manipulate, and manage, and control your behavior in one way or another. Um, That's not to say that it's, you know, a a nefarious intent or a positive intent. It's just, it just, it is what it is. These are the things that you do with data. You synthesize it and then you use it, right? So Mm -hmm. later on, what we'll do is we'll talk about some things you can do to sort of, um, uh, like you'd mentioned, take back control uh, of some of, uh, of, of some of the way that the information is sort of distributed to yourself, um, how, how you're synthesizing the data to not have sort of this, um, reactionary approach that we all kind of see occurring presently, especially with, you know, everything being so politicized nowadays and um, seeming sort of like this, you know, whoever screams loudest approach, um, you know, in general, right? So Mm -hmm. um, all those things. So I'm going to keep rambling here for a minute, but as far as, you know, data, right? So we've got all this, this crazy big data, machine learning, you know, the computer taking over all this crazy these crazy ideas, but we also have these amazing benefits. So it seems to me, uh, especially over the last few, you know, few years, maybe the last decade, um, we have this idea, these two sort of opposing viewpoints of the future of humanity and data, right? One is a utopian, you know, type of promise from data, you know, and this is that all of our feeds are generated and supported by all these AI algorithms that are constantly scouring our data, uh, pervading every aspect of our lives, you know, things like uh, our news media, social media, our financial data, uh, our dating preferences, health and vaccination records, literally everything we allow to access, read, aggregate, extract our information about ourselves individually and collectively as humanity, um, we do so with with the underlying belief that it's going to improve our lives and, you know, give us things more conveniently and add meaning and um you know, kind of help us take that next step, right, in, in our evolution. Mm-hmm. The the sort of opposite of that, the, the, the opposing viewpoint is more dystopian. It's that, you know, companies all have access to this information, and they're going to use it to do what companies do, and that's try to make money. So what ends up happening in this sort of dystopian, you know, technology future is that, you know, Content you're extremely passionate about, you know, things that you like to share, you like on, you, that, that get an emotional reaction out of you, um, are not necessarily content pieces that are, are 
I guess, necessarily accurate or even true, but they're prioritized because you're having a reaction and then they're fed back to you. And they're exaggerating that passion and they're exaggerating that emotion that you're feeling. That's not always a good thing, right? And we don't have just good feelings and good emotions. So, you know, with this happening, it's sort of like, I like to think that it's no wonder there's so much reactivity in the world, especially when it comes to sort of hot button topics, because we built this amazing machine, you know, this sort of this sort of crazy Internet machine and, and like it's the biggest machine in history. And what it actually does is it amplifies our emotions. <laughs> wow. You know what I mean? Wow. So, so it amplifies them to to control you. So I, I, I try to think that, you know, in reality, it's not one or the other. It's not the utopian idea. It's not the dystopian idea. It's somewhere in between. And it's up to us to really manage that balance, um, not just as, you know, people like me who are the, the, the aggregators and the collectors and distributors and analyzers of data, but as a user of data, as a, as a generator of data, what, what everybody does. So, you know, I think, I think that's something that, that would be worth us sort of kind of deconstructing a little bit and um, learning how to learning how it works so that we can we can have a little bit more control. Yes, that is actually so helpful. And I feel like even though I have a, a little bit of knowledge around those words and, and, I, and I or at least I should say I, I thought I did, I feel like that really helped just out of the gate explain what it is that we're dealing with and expanding on that a bit. And I'd I'd really also like uh, to go through another area of data that I feel everyone would benefit from greatly uh, if we could understand better how it works and deconstruct that a little bit more. Can you take us through that a bit so that we're better equipped to access our own data yeah. or, or understand better um, you know, how to navigate this whole, the, all this information mm-hmm. that we're dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. So in data sciences, we have this concept called the DGP, right? The data generation process. The data generation process is essentially how the information is produced. And this occurs from a number of different fields. So let me sort of take a step back. Um, there, there's a number of components to to the entire like data, the theoretical data ideology, right? It's like data is collected, cleaned, mined, analyzed, and then it's used, you know, think like things like algorithms that do things or sell goods or stories or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. We, we can use it to predict events, algorithms, right? And then we use it for those things. So lots can go wrong during all these different processes. So maybe maybe a good exercise for us is going to be to kind of look at each step individually. Let's break it up to those sort of five areas. And then we can we can talk about, you know, kind of the, the pitfalls that can occur. And I think that that'll be a really good exercise in helping people understand that it's not like a, you know, hey, we found this result. This is the truth. This is, you know, it, it's a good example of why scientists have hypotheses that they test before they become theories. Mm. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot that can go wrong. So how does that sound? Yes, that would be awesome. And yes, I, I especially love the part where you mentioned that uh, we need to understand, you know, what, what the truth is. And I think that's really what, or at least my hope is that people who are listening to this are like, yeah, let's, how do I get to the truth? <laughs> Tell me that. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's hard to do now, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially with so much information out there that's ultimately uncurated. So, all right, let's dive down that rabbit hole then. So that first step, that data generation process, right? So there's, there's the data is generated. Okay, and then any generate and and when we say generated, we mean anything that's producing data. Period. So they have IoT, the Internet of Things. This is anything connected to the cloud. That's your cell phone, your car, your watch, your Alexa, 
your anything, all right? Anything you type into the computer, um, things that you say out loud that somebody writes down. This is a data generation process, and somebody's capturing that data. So step one, I would really say, is that data collection, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, and your data collection is subject to things like biases and sampling errors, okay? Mm-hmm. So what a bias is um, is basically a, a skewing of that data, in the process of it being collection. And there are a number of biases, some very common ones are confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, uh, a great example of confirmation bias is like people on, people follow people on Twitter or Instagram or whatever because um, usually for one of two reasons. They either really like what the person says or they really hate what the person says or hate <laughs> the person. So it's like every time somebody says something, you have this, this sort of, you know, like, oh, I knew that person was an ass. Or like, oh, yeah, I really agree with that. Like, this person's right. I like it confirmation bias. Like, it's not necessarily true, and it's not necessarily wrong. You need data to support that that standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. There are also things like selection bias, meaning that, um, let's say, a study is run, and um, you only select uh, for a certain, a certain group of people or um, certain participants, Okay, social desirability bias. It's like um, how well will will the information or the responses be accepted socially? There's publication bias, meaning you know you you are only you are structuring your investigations uh, based on what is most likely to be published. You know, nobody wants to have you know null hypotheses um, you know submitted to the publication you know to a publication because they're typically not going to be selected. Um, but those things do occur out there. We just mm. don't really hear about them. Um, so there's a number of biases to start off with, right? Okay. And then we talk about the sampling error. So sampling error is when you essentially get you can't you can't ever you can't ever collect data from the entire population. There's seven billion people in the world. You can't collect all of that information from every single person, right? For, right. for any number of reasons. You know, uh, not everybody has access to that machinery. They might not be of the appropriate age, language barriers, whatever. Okay, so what we do is we collect samples of our intended population. And sometimes, if your sample is random, you get a bad sample. You know, the idea behind a sample is you want a sample that, that, that is a, an, a close enough representation of that true population. So, like, the population distribution, you know, maybe we have um, people within – people split up amongst – into age groups in our sample size that – appropriately reflect the split in the true population. So maybe we have, you know, 65% people between 15 and 64 years old and 15% of people that are, you know, 65 years and older. And we have 8% of people that are, you know, from whatever, right? You kind of, you get what I'm saying? Yes. So, so if you get a bad sample, anything you do from that sample, um, we're producing that sample is is likely to be incorrect, and so sampling error occurs all the time. And what I've seen is a lot of times when people, you know, you kind of go through the method, methods of a lot of research papers, or you look at the interpretations. Um, there's no indication for whether they did their due diligence on evaluating whether or not that sample was an accurate representation of the true population. So there's one, right? This is this is right from the beginning when you're capturing data. You've got all these things that can happen that are incorrect. Okay, so step two, once you have your data, assuming that you have you have a good sample, you've tested it, and you know that you know your confidence intervals are with an appropriate level. Now, confidence intervals being like um, 
how confident you are that your sample is a true reflection of the true population or a likely representation of that true population. You know, typically this, that's not less than 5%. Mm-hmm. In healthcare, it's less than, you know, 1% error. Okay, and this is like the level of error you're comfortable having with your, with your um, statistical measure there. So let's say you have a good sample. Let's just make that assumption. Step two, you've got data cleaning and prep work, okay? Data cleaning is riddled with potential issues, okay? And it requires a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. So some of the issues that, that can occur are loading errors. That means getting the data into the system you're going to use to analyze it or clean it, mm-hmm. okay? Clean it and then analyze it. Um, the data sometimes when it's transferred over from one system to another, let's look at like moving something from a Mac to a PC, it doesn't transfer over the right way. So things get flipped around, numbers, letters, whatever. If somebody isn't diligent enough to be aware of those things, then you could have completely missing information or accidentally exclude something that that could be a relevant factor, right? Um, Incorrect procedures are often used. So data is set up in a standardized sort of format, right? You have this columns and rows type format like everybody's seen in an Excel sheet. Well, those columns are typically your variables. And depending on the type of variable, if it's a numeric value, if it's, an, if it's a number, right, or if it's a category, so an example of a numeric might be age, okay, or income. Uh, a category, an example of category might be something like marital status, gender, race, whatever. Mm-hmm. So there are different methods and procedures that you would use as, as an investigator or an analyst to evaluate the, the sort of statistical, um, uh, the statistical measures uh, associated with those particular variables, with those particular columns. And if you don't use the right ones, you're not going to correct, get the correct data, mm-hmm. meaning your interpretation is going to be wrong. And sometimes even if you're using the correct procedures, your interpretation is incorrect. So um, we're only in step two, mind you. This is about four or five different things that could potentially go wrong, just kind of on the surface. Wow. Okay? Yeah. Now, assuming you have those things taken care of, we go to step three, which is uh, called an exploratory data analysis, which is kind of like looking for stuff, or data mining, too. So data, they kind of fall into the same realm. So the success of a data mining exercise or an exploratory analysis relies upon the, ana- the analyst understanding of how to actually, um, you know, perform perform those analyses. So again, there's particular methods that you would use to to measure associations, correlations, um, to build algorithms, things like that. Right. right. Um, the the analyst needs to understand how intru- how to interpret uh, aggregations. So aggregations might be something like a a population distribution. Right, so I see this all the time too. Where, especially with regards to like COVID data, something will be said, you know, like, oh, um, you know, thirteen hundred people have died, whatever, you know. And then you look at the the, the population distribution, and it, you know, people are screaming bloody murder. But at the end of the day, it's not the it, it's 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 almost misinformation because they don't take the time to actually give the breakdown of of what that what that distribution is, so what category they're talking about. So in a very narrow category of people, yes, there might be um, this greater risk, but you can't apply that narrow category across the entire spectrum, the entire sample population, right? So um, that happens often, and not just for COVID, just in general. It's just a it's just common, um, a common error that occurs. So you have to not only rely 
on the person performing that analysis and and, and that data mining exercise to be able to interpret that distribution information correctly, that correlation, that statistical output information correctly, you have to rely on whoever's reading the paper to be able to do that same interpretation as well and to interpret it correctly. (laughs) So we'll talk more about that one uh, in a minute. But um, So that's step three. Now step four, your data analysis. Um, Again, you need the appropriate analytical methodologies. Okay, you need to understand what you're doing, and a lot of um, a lot of that understanding actually ends up being being muddied because a lot of times people can't actually formulate their hypotheses, uh, and, and they can't translate their hypotheses from that raw data to a a data science question or a data question. Right. So you want to take your question of let's see. How many people are are exposed to such and such between this age? How do you form that into a, into a hypothesis? Well, you have to understand how to do that um, in the context of data, meaning you have to be able to choose which variables, which columns to use. You have to understand what type of column they are. You know, you have to understand um, what explanatory variables to use or how to how to get those explanatory variables. An explanatory variable is basically another column of data, another, you know, another piece of information that you can use to mathematically determine the outcome for your your explanatory variable. So maybe your explanatory variable is um, chance of metastases for a cancer uh, type, okay, given a given a certain population. Well, in order for you to do that, you might you might be reviewing um, you know the radius of a cancer, the, the the color of the cell, the um, I don't know how bumpy it is. A number of, a number of factors. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a I'm not a cancer researcher, but those principles still apply. You have to appropriately be able to select not not just the thing that you're trying to explain, but the things that you want to explain it with. So the variables you want to explain it with, and um, a lot of people don't have that capability uh, sadly it's it's a lot of domain knowledge where you'll have one or two things that appear to be associated based on years of research um, personally but um, personal research or reading literature whatever the case may be but when you actually get in there and, and look at the numbers meaning you can actually quantify these associations um, there's not really anything there what's there isn't that strong or statistically significant so you know the, the the analyst again needs to understand how to how to approach these things so that you know the information you're getting is relevant and useful and good. And um, I hate to say it, but frankly, it, it's more profitable to get a reaction than it is to you know report report the right thing. And um, you know that's kind of the world we're living in. So let's consider that as our step five: the data reporting. You know, it's subject to a number of biases. Is my publication company going to publish the story? When do they need this by? How do they need it by? What's the political situation like? Mm-hmm. How many clicks am I going to get from this? How many shares am I going to get get from this? So there's riddled with selection bias and reporting bias. There's there's funding and revenue bias. Am I going to get funded for this research? Am I going to get funded for this story in this article? It's all skewed. So maybe maybe an individual bias doesn't have that big of an effect. But you see from three of these different steps, right? Three of these different steps, three or five of these different steps, we're subject to these different biases. Yeah. We're subject to these different errors. Well, those things compound. And then suddenly what you have are these articles where it's saying something, you know, 
dramatic and completely obscure, and you open it up, and you're like, wow, well, that's this isn't even what the article was titled. This <laughs> isn't what it's talking about. So reported information for most people, right, comes in the form of these different news feeds, okay? So to, to, to compound this problem even worse, we're sitting in these sort of like AI-driven echo chambers, right, which, which are riddled with bias, which result in poor mental health outcomes for us. Uh, I think for most people, at least most of the people I talked to, especially during COVID and, and during the you know the last election, it was like people had to turn off the news. They had to turn off their social media because there was so much just like negativity coming their way, and they couldn't understand why. Well, it's because the way these algorithms are actually written uh, in most cases is it, it, basically the objective function is composed of action predictions, right? So like um, if uh, there's more weight placed on a like and a share, than there is on the actual quality and content and truthfulness of the report. Mm. So what ends up happening is you get the emergence of this thing called clickbait. And this is where you place more important on those more importance and more weight, like the actual like an algorithm. You're placing more weight on the clicks and the likes, which result in more importance and say relevance to what you see on your end. So now we're experiencing the situation in which the case of maximizing clicks is what we focus on in order to maximize impressions, because by doing so, we can maximize our advertising dollars. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much how the, the, the industry has operated for a while. So there's all these crazy things that can go wrong, and the majority of what we read and subsequently react to are these clickbait headlines. And so people end up with these, like, negative you know, this negative sentiment, these like emotional health issues are tied into, and and I don't know the numbers on the emotional health issue. Maybe it's not like that at all. But from my experience and from the people that I've talked to and, and the conversations that I've had in my circles, um, there does appear to be a largely negative sentiment surrounding, um, you know, news media, news feeds, Twitter, all of these things. Again, we have this giant emotional amplification device. So, you know, I would love for somebody to show me data to the contrary, but even some of the studies that we've been doing, the 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 respondents to the study have all, by large, indicated the same thing, mm-hmm. and that's that we're feeling crappy because we're getting fed all this negative stuff because that's the largest response. And at the end of the day, these things are all distortions of the truth, or some some forms. We're not getting the whole truth. Everything has some sort of distortion of the truth. And that's because what? At the end of the day, well, we live in a world where money has more value than truth. Wow. It's messed up. Yes. You know? So yeah. it's not to say that companies or governments or people are inherently evil, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, it's just the world we live in. The most valuable survival resource is money. So we place more importance on money than truth or fairness or accurate reporting or whatever else. We just have this, we have this system, you know, system of emotional amplification that is designed to make money. And this is where most of us are getting our information. And I think that's one of the reasons why deep down we, we do kind of feel like the world is so messed up, right? It's because at the end of the day, we know that, you know, money really isn't the most important thing. It's family and love and compassion and all the, all the good things that, that we know lead to a more meaningful life. But we have this crazy upside-down value system that drives poverty, dishonesty, crime, resentment, and fear. And it's kind of all powered by this giant machine <laughs> that is the first thing we look at when we wake up in the morning or we sit there and flip through or in the restroom or bored or whatever else. But what can you do, right? So we're stuck in the cycle of, of 
endlessly examining the existential irony of life in a world motivated by money, and it's bad for our emotional and mental health. So, you know, that's that's where we're at. And I think understanding kind of how this data is generated and further um, what you can do to validate the information that you're reading, mm-hmm. um, some, some good principles for that, will help sort of steal you against these emotional responses and reactivity that further drive this machine, right? Yeah. Wow. All this information is so important, and it's it's so easy to forget that there are all these other components running behind the scenes. I mean, there is all this activity happening in response to how we're responding, in response to how we're reacting, and we're really perpetuating some of this. And so knowing that we're contributing also gives us an opportunity to to shift our behaviors so that we're not perpetuating this this type of behavior or, or even just somehow contributing and agreeing that this is okay with us. It's not once you figure out what's happening, you're you you have a choice. Is this okay with me or is this not okay with me? I mean I can see so much potential in this whole process for for errors and distortions and, and it's no wonder why people are confused and overwhelmed and why it's so negatively affecting their mental and emotional wellness. I mean, that's also the same on my end, what I'm hearing from from clients and people who have had to just completely get, you know, turn off every every kind of media that they have just in order to get themselves together and kind of recalibrate yeah. and rebalance. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, in your gut, you know, something feels off, right? And, you know, you have you have this situation. I mean, COVID is a perfect example where it's like we're told something different every single day. And the only thing that's been clear to anybody is that nobody knows what's going on. So at a certain point, you just kind of go, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm like, nobody knows what's happening. So I'm just going to kind of like make my own decision and make my own choices. And then there's anger surrounding, you know, what we're told to do, how to live our lives, because at the end of the day, we know that they're just taking the next best guess, too. And, right. you know, you've got somebody like Joe Biden up there quoting 350 million Americans receive <laughs> the vaccine when there aren't even 350 million Americans. And we know that he probably meant there were, there were that many doses. But even if you look at the numbers associated with that, they still don't add up. There's... <laughs> We can we can pull it up and kind of look at some examples, but it's it's one of those deals where it's no wonder people have this distrust associated with things that they're reading, and there's all these polarizing items. But at the end of the day, I think it's important for us to all kind of recognize, like, hey, this is a problem. This is a this is a huge global social problem. We are all dealing with this misinformation problem. We're getting so much stuff every single day. How do we know what to believe? And people are, are taking this approach of, well, I believe it because I, I feel it. I'm like, well, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. You need to have data to support it. And the importance of having that data is that you can get new data and you can still change your opinion based on that new information. And that's okay. But with the you know overly political sort of landscape that we live in, this world we live in now, um, this, this clickbait-driven world of garnering emotion to get dollars – you know, garnering emotion to get action, we don't really take the time to stop and think anymore. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I would love to transition a little bit if we can, because I think it's so important. And I know that so many people are dealing with the emotional and mental wellness issues, the implications of it all, really. Um, can we talk a little bit about how they can take back their power that well, I, I feel like which knowledge is power, right? So as soon as you realize what's going on and then you also know that you have some role that you're playing in it, 
How can people take back their power and quell some of these emotional and mental burdens? Great question. Okay, so, yes. So, so a lot of it's interpretation, right? So let's start first with the echo chamber thing again. We talked about how really just the way that the, the when I say the objective functions, I mean like the algorithms that drive your news feeds, your social media feeds, those are all based with a, with a weight, again, on likes and shares. So it's not necessarily the most true thing. It's the thing that gets shared the most because that's the thing they can attach ads to and sell you things. And, you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. So understanding that to begin with is going to, you know, kind of should give you a baseline, uh, like giant question mark next to everything that you read. Okay. And so I think some, some foundational approaches to, you know, maybe protecting ourselves further might be an understanding, um, you know, kind of when you, when you, when you recognize that big emotional response, that big question mark pops up, what are some things you can do to sort of make the determination yourself? Well, the first thing in my opinion is, you know, kind of stopping, right? Like pay attention to your feelings first, like just use critical thinking on this for a second. So you, 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 you're aware of your feelings. You notice you're reading something, it's pissing you off. Okay. Or you're overly happy and you want to share it, whatever. Okay. Well, just stop for a second before you react emotionally, because again, you're reacting to the giant machine that amplifies our emotions. You have to use critical thinking. You have to use Mm self-control and then consider the available data sources and its underlying mechanisms. Okay. So you can override those emotional, those initial emotional responses and then kind of become a Jedi of your, your own emotions. So I would say, I would say first, pay attention to your feelings, you know, ask yourself, am I having a, a strong emotional response to something I'm reading? Okay. Mm-hmm. Does what you're reading feel off? Does what you're reading have a clickbait type title? And, and does the content of what you're reading closely match what was suggested by the article's title? Mm-hmm. I actually, it, I, I feel like this is so, sorry to interrupt. I just feel like this is so important because I think that people are unaware or, you know, just it's not something that we out of the gate just think about is that how we how we're interpreting the already misinformed data to some extent Mm -hmm. is it is determined based on our emotions so if we are angry if we do have fear if you know if we are trying to prove a point you know whatever those emotions are are going to directly cause us to have a filter around what we're what we're reading so now we're adding to the skew we're skewing it ourselves we it already comes to us in pieces mm-hmm. that are potentially true or false. And now based on our emotions, we are further misinterpreting potentially because we haven't stopped and said, okay, let's, let's get rational and logical for a second and not allow these emotions to, to filter this information any further. Would, is, that, is that what's happening in what, from, from your standpoint as well? Do you see that being an issue? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I think, I think you, know, you, you, you know, somebody says something crappy to you because, you know, Again, crappy people want to get, they want to see those likes. We're addicted to those likes, those hearts, those shares. Like I said, something shitty, and now somebody, you know, that was a good burn. Everybody's liking it and laughing, and I'm getting attention for it. Well, again, like, that's not a great reason to, to, to share something, or excuse me, that's not a great reason to respond. And, you know, if we stop ourselves for a second, you know, we're not, we're not trying to change somebody's somebody's heart here we're trying to change somebody's mind and how you change somebody's mind if you if you have a counterpoint is with data so you know 
first you need to eliminate that that sort of emotional component. And I really realize that that's difficult to do in many cases, especially if you're like being attacked. But at the end of the day, that's that's the whole point, right? It's it's we have to we have to have more self control. Have to use more critical thinking to make sure that we're responding in the most effective way possible. And battling people, unfortunately, is not the most effective way possible because they're just going to dig their heels in. So if you come with data, then even even then they might be able to say, "Well, you know, I still think you're an ass," but you know, this is data, and you could potentially change somebody's opinion there. Mm-hmm. So, so so let's look at it again from like, okay, we're looking at something. You know, are we reading something we're having a strong emotional response to? Okay, let's let's kind of use that as our sort of teeing off point. Okay. You know, I feel like something's off. I'm having an emotional response. Um, the, the title seems a little clickbaity. So, okay, what do I do now? Um, let's examine kind of, uh, kind of some stuff about this. You know, is, is this a highly politicized topic? You know, is it COVID, elections, masks, racism, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe we understand this is why we're having the emotional response because we want to try and look at it from that lens, Okay. Mm-hmm. Consider the author of the article. Is it somebody you know? Is it somebody you're following because you like them or hate them? You know what I mean? Like you, 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 you want to get the information from from somebody that should be talking about it. Like if you know, my kids like to to follow somebody like Frankie Chestnuts or somebody that you know <laughs> likes hot peppers. And if they were to come to me and go, Frankie Chestnuts says we all shouldn't wear masks or we should all go and get vaccinated. Like like well. Frankie Chestnut probably isn't the best person to be listening to, but we all do it, right? We watch celebrities that, you know, get paid to pretend they're somebody else for a living. But who are they to tell us anything or to do anything? You know, you have celebrity doctors that, you know, you and I have both known enough doctors, and frankly, some of them are bad doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just it is what it is. People are people. Uh, they're not trying to be bad. They're not trying to – they're just doing the best they can with the information they have. So right. consider the author of the information. Okay, um, are they are they are they a pay, are they basically a, pay, a paid personality paid to do or promote something right? Like Instagram influencers, I definitely don't want to hear what they have to say about you know my COVID situation because I can actually go to the CDC website and evaluate the raw data myself. You know, um, what are the credentials of the author? Okay, um, do they offer any evidence? And this is something that's new that I see all the time. Nobody offers evidence anymore. There's no sources. It's like in an article published, you know, one study showed, you know, mm-hmm. a study out of whatever. Like, okay, these are these are kind of like these are these are kind of like the red flags you want to pay attention to. One study doesn't mean anything. Okay, frankly, if somebody goes one study out of, then I'm going up. Ah, this is worthless. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want meta studies or meta-analyses, because these are looking at hundreds, thousands of studies, hundreds or thousands of studies, okay? These are well-researched items, okay? And that's not to say that single studies are bad, but if somebody's making a sweeping generalization using one study as their, their sort of source, then you still have to consider that, A, they interpreted the information in that study correctly, B, that study was, was actually, like, set up correctly, like, that they were using proper methods to evaluate, the scientists actually evaluated uh, this, did the statistical evaluations use the correct procedures and evaluations? Okay, and, and chances are it's probably probably not as good as it it's being made out to be, right? right. So you want to be able to you know kind of be aware that these things are going on, you know. And then I would say the last thing when you're you know before you, you sort of retweet or repost, you know, just ask yourself like, 
this what you're reading makes sense. You know, this is where the critical thinking starts. So again, going back to this the whole so whole Joe Biden thing, it's like we have roughly three. And what do you say? Let me look at this up. Okay, he's. I have it pulled up here. He says, you know, we have roughly 350 million people vaccinated in the United States and billions around the world. This is the leader of the free world here. <laughs> and he just misspoke. We all know that. That's fine. Okay. But how many times was that retreated and reprinted over and over and over again? Right. You know, it, it's, it's suspect. Okay. And, and, and I even still have issues with the 350 million doses number because mm-hmm. that's kind of suspect too. I mean, if you think about 65% of the U.S. population is between 15 and 65, well, 65% of 350 million people at two doses each is roughly like 114, 115 million people, mm-hmm. right? That's, right? That's kind of less than half of what the comment was intended to communicate. And those are grossly different numbers. <laughs> yes, to say so, the least. You know, it's, it's like there's, I don't think there's any sort of like negative intent that's occurring there. I think that, I think a lot of it really is, you know, kind of like this, whatever's going to, you know, whatever's going to get me the most ad dollars. But, <clears throat> you know, from 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 the COVID thing specifically, I mean, there's so many institutions and experts and people involved and opinions and all subject to all these different sort of factors themselves. People are just doing the best they can. But the fact of the matter is that everybody manages data a little bit differently. So, you know, I think the critical piece here is is first stopping yourself and asking yourself some of these questions. Am I having an emotional response? Is is this a valid source of data that I'm reading this from? Is it, you know, a, a, a personality? Is it somebody that I'm following because I like or hate or whatever? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then do they cite the, re- the sources? Because if somebody's citing sources, you can go and check those sources yourself and you can make your own determination. And you can check the sources of those sources. So you have a lot to work with to determine if it's true. Um, All right, so here's the downside for all this, right? It requires time and effort. And most of us are, you know, busy living our lives, you know, in these little 15-minute intervals. We try and cram as much in as we can. And, um, you know, it's easier just to retweet something and be pissed off and and get your likes and call it a day than it is to, you know, look at things. But I think the long-term implications... Um, you know, the emotional impact, the psychological impact on, on ourselves and society as a whole are, are going to continue to worsen until we sort of develop these these defenses against this, this sort of reactionary content and, you know, sort of um, AI-driven echo chamber. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I think one way um, we can help help mitigate this or help resolve some of this is to also, even if we don't have the time for ourselves, before we repost something or reshare information, check the sources so that way we're not perpetuating false information. You know that helps others as well. With mm-hmm. you know, with what if there, if there's people following your feed, or if there's people following you, there's this is just this is like one big snowball that's that's turning into millions of other big snowballs because we're we're just continuing the information that's already been poor from from the start. Agreed. Um, and and you know we talk about you know, looking at meta-analysis and, and kind of pay attention to those small things. It, it's worth noting, you know, we have in our pockets access to our cloud of information. We have access to all of the collectible collective information in humanity. Uh, use that, you know, go to Google Scholar, 
look some things up. You know, some things that you want to look for when you're reading your papers and evaluating these things. Let me give you some actually some guiding principles here. So, first of all, use current data. Okay, a big mistake I notice that people make when they do publications or when they're citing sources, they're quoting things from 1985 or 1990. Like, okay, that's too old. Go back five years at most. Okay, you want you want studies that were published within the last five years, preferably meta analyses or meta studies. Mm-hmm. That way, it's it's or a review. It's a review paper that has looked at all these different studies and and kind of um, made the determination not based on just one study out of somewhere. Okay. People, people like to do that often. Um, make sure it's a it's a, a reputable location. You know, you hear Harvard all the time. You hear Stanford all the time. And it's great that they're using the, the, the name because those are, in general, yes, very reputable organizations. But make sure that the rest of the stuff adds up, too. You know, yeah. don't be afraid to open up the paper. Look at, look at their findings. See, figure out for yourself how to interpret distributions. See if you can interpret the data. A little bit more advanced topic might be looking at things like uh, p-values for the outcomes. And p-values are are what statisticians and um, data scientists look to, and analysts look at to establish, um, you know, whether what you're looking at or not is statistically significant. Okay, mm-hmm. um, confidence intervals are kind of a, the same thing, right? It's another way of evaluating whether or not the information you're looking at is statistically significant, is a true representation of the population, okay? Um, there's something called p-hacking, right? P-hacking is like hacking that value, which is when you establish a certain level of statistical significance, you say, I'm okay with a certain amount of error. Uh, in, in healthcare and medicine, that's typically, you know, 1%, okay? You know, so you're, you're comfortable with 1% or less than 1%, excuse me, 0.01% chance of error in other other evaluations, usually like social analyses, you're comfortable with a 95% uh, confidence interval, meaning you're comfortable with 5% level of error, okay? And there are different types of errors, false positives, false negatives. Those are type 1 and 2 errors, respectively. So what that really breaks down to, if you have a 95% confidence interval, is 1 in 20, by pure statistical chance, are going to give you a false positive mm. or false negative, Right. Well, false positive, really. So if somebody were so inclined, they could just repeat their study 20 times um, until they got the outcome that they were wanting. Because, uh-huh. again, nobody wants to publish things that are, you know, um, you know, null hypotheses that, that prove themselves wrong. So mm-hmm. this does happen, although I think the scientific community as a whole is, is, is you know, ethically... Um, it does their best ethically, so I don't think it's it's very common. But can it occur? Sure. And if you look up, you know, if you look up the statistics on uh, study replication, it it's not very. It doesn't build confidence. Let's just put it that way. So right. you need to be able to look at these papers, read through them, use critical thinking, and evaluate if what you're reading makes sense, and don't just use that single source. Got okay. It. Yeah, absolutely. Use, use these things. If somebody's not publishing their confidence intervals, if somebody's not publishing their p-values, then you know that's that's cause for alarm. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much packed into this, and I feel like my my main goal is obviously that they're not it doesn't create more overwhelm, but that people just understand that there's all this stuff going on, and there's people like you, Corey, that are actually looking at this stuff rationally and logically and helping to. Um, come up with, well, to get to the truth, essentially, but 
all in all, it's it's kind of like we need to all do individually do our best, but also I think have better conversations with each other. And I, I'd love to chat about that really quick before we, we close out this episode, just because I think it's important that we uh, start realizing how our even our own personal miscommunication or inability to communicate well mm. is affecting mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, the mental and emotional health components, but also just our own ability to, 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 to create a, a plan around what we will do with the information that we have. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I like that. What I would say is, you know, it's kind of up to you as the as the individual to think critically about the information that's presented to you by all these different media outlets, journals, work, government, whoever. You're getting information from somewhere, right? Everywhere you're getting information, think critically about it. Mm-hmm. You know, is there is there some sort of, you know, conspiracy going on? Probably not, but maybe. I think it's just a lot of different people with a lot of different information trying to do a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, you know, these are, we're all people. And we need to be people for people and not be reactive and not have these reactive discourses because it's, you know, it's kind of like a relationship, right? It's, it's you and me against this problem, not each other. And that's kind of the big thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we, we, you know, we have this giant AI-driven echo chamber that's meant to amplify our emotions. We are literally all on it all the time, all day long with each other. And this has been, this is growing into our culture and into our society. We need to mature enough and to, to think critically enough to understand that, that it really is a, a, an influence that is not necessarily healthy for us. So we can, we can take a step back, we can stop being reactive, and we can, we can solve this problem together. I think that's probably the biggest thing. And maybe one of the things we can do is instead of you and me fighting about something we, quote, believe, how about we both bring facts for our side of the argument? Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that even just individually. I like to argue with myself before I even take information out to the public. You know, I'll try to learn information right. enough <laughs> to, to a, a certain extent in which I could debate myself on both sides of the coin so that that way when I'm having a conversation, it's, it's, it's you know, useful information and, and not necessarily an argument. But but just, hey, here's the facts that I have. Let's put that on the table. And let me see the facts you have. And let's compare them. And let's see how we can, from a collaborative standpoint, take what we know and devise a solution, which I think is the main thing, is that people aren't coming up with solutions. They're just throwing their facts around um, and, and in a way that is very emotionally you know, directed, which is part of the problem, I, I do think. So I think that that is... Well, you and, I, you and I have talked about that before, right? And that's like... You know, it, it's okay to have uncomfortable conversations because that's where growth occurs. Like that was Absolutely. like, like that's where you you evolve. So if we can have these non-reactive arguments where we're supporting our ourselves by facts and good data, then somebody's going to grow. Probably both people will, and mm-hmm. we won't hate each other as much because it's not like a personal attack on our belief system, which is whatever what we've decided we're attaching all of this clickbait stuff too. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I, I love exactly, uh, especially what you said about it's you and me against the problem, not against each other. I think that that's the biggest takeaway of this entire conversation, if nothing else, because it does simplify uh, a, a somewhat complex concept overall. And Corey, I am so thankful for you and, and for your time today. Just this incredible insight and information. I know that this is going to help so many people. Um, and if if anybody has any questions or, or wants to follow you in your work, how would it be best for them to do that? 
Uh, the best way is they can reach out to me um, from the company website, 8 People Inc. Uh, we are a data scientist company. Basically, what we do is we use data to solve any problem. And we can use all kinds of data. We've got access to a ton of it. We can we can help you use your data to solve problems. Um, but feel free to call and ask anyway. You know, as a professor, we get approached with a lot of these things all the time. Um, another area I think people would, would really appreciate getting resources from that's data-related as um, the, the Linux Foundation actually has something called datapractices.org. And it, it's, it's I think that's actually the, the website, datapractices.org. But mm-hmm. it's the Linux Foundation's basically data values and principles. And these are things that are that, that they say are taken together to describe the most effective ethical and modern approach to data teamwork. And we are all sharing data all the time. I think it's important for us to all share these values of inclusion, experimentation, accountability, impact, and everything that we do with data, whether it's generating it, evaluating it, or sharing it, which most of us are sharing. So um, I would say take a look at that one, and then if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to me on a... On, on the eight people Inc, um, you know, uh, or um, <laughs> I think find me on LinkedIn. I guess <laughs> Amazing. I hope they don't blow me up. But, <laughs> no, um, uh, uh, they might. But um, but thank you so <laughs> thank you so much, Corey. And I'll make sure to add those contact notes as well in the show notes so that um, people can can access that. And thank you again, Corey, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And this just wraps up our episode for today. This was such an awesome show. If there's anything in this content that you feel would be helpful to any friends or family, please share this with them. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and sign up for my email newsletters so you never miss out on news or any special events that I'm doing. And you can do that at wendymichelle.com. You can also find and follow me on Instagram and Clubhouse. I'll be doing live chats about each episode, and I'd love for you to join me over there as well. I will be back next week with a new episode. Thank you so much for your open heart and open mind. I know that the road to becoming whole, healthy, and free can sometimes be a challenging one, but with data, as we found today, and all this new information, here you are, even still. So thank you for your time and listening. I am so honored that you would spend a part of your day to engage in these conversations with me. You really have been created without error and are capable of so much more than you have been told. Thank you for listening to Whole, Healthy, and Free. I will be back soon with another edition of the podcast. I invite you to check out my next episode once it becomes available on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until then, stay focused, insist on the truth, and do not quit. You are so much stronger than you realize.